Hey, welcome to the NATO Sessions. I'm NATO Green. This is Conversating in Podcast, produced by 3200 Stories. Today's episode, I talked to Kenny Hotz, and I taped the episode a little while ago, but I just got back from a trip to Los Angeles. And being in Los Angeles, uh, Kenny Hotz is, is an interesting dude uh, to me being in Los Angeles because like show business is not designed to promote the greatest geniuses or the most interesting ideas or the best talents. They really have an organizational culture that's evolved to find the people who are most desperate with the least boundaries. And the thing I always wonder about is like how many geniuses there are out there uh, that are that just have too much boundaries to play ball. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there are probably another hundred Richard Pryors and George Carlins or a thousand who just weren't willing to be as available as show business wanted them to be. And Kenny Hotz is kind of one of those people. Like he did it his own way and he knew what he wanted to do and what he was willing to do and uh, was not willing to do other things. And I really, he, he, has done great work and continues to do great work and has ideas, but is not trying to destroy himself and his life in order to fit some, in someone else's machine. And I really respect that. And I really enjoyed talking to him and hearing about that journey. My guest today is Kenny Hotz. Uh, uh, Americans know him mostly as Kenny of Kenny versus Spenny that ran for seven seasons on Comedy Central. He also had a show called Testies that ran for one season on, on FX. He was a writer for South Park. He had a show called Triumph of the Will that ran in Canada for a season. Uh, you can and should watch all of this on YouTube. Um, uh, so, and Kenny was in town to screen episodes of Triumph of the Will at the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival. And uh, we sat down in his hotel. Are we starting? Is this it? Just well, the beginning you know, of our interaction, our tete-a-tete. This, this could be, this could be the Is beginning. It? Okay, Are good. you ready? I was born ready. You got wine. We're here in the in the yeah, ba- bank, banquet room. How's your Hebrew? Not good at all. Uh, I, I, got, I got through my bar mitzvah and then stopped. Oh, yeah. My mom's Israeli. I could tell from the accent on the show. Yeah. No, that's, well, she's Polish, but she had a stroke. Polish people with strokes sound Israeli. Is that is that it? No, she's Israeli. She's Israeli. Uh, so how how did how did an Israeli end up in Toronto? Um, the Holocaust. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> I've, I've, I've read some books. <laughs> yeah, heard of something like that. Uh, yeah, it's they're they're like uh, rats. They yeah. they just kind of they get, get into everything. Those Jews, those and, Jewish people. And is do Canadians find? Jews as irritating as Americans do? Is, anti- um, is anti-Semitism different there? Our immigrants are so much more irritating than the Jews that oh. we're like the upper <laughs> echelons of... Uh, the top shelf. We're the top shelf of, of people there. Yeah. We have the most multi... First of all, we're in Toronto. It's the most multicultural city in the world. Is the, it really? Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. The it's, most diverse. But I'll talk slowly. I don't think you guys actually understand words that big. Being American and all. We're, yeah, we're not very polysyllabic. <laughs> what here. the hell is that? Exactly. Uh, no so, five-syllable words, please. So so what is it, what's it like being a Jew growing up? Were you, were you growing up in, a, in a Jewish neighborhood? Or? Yeah, I was, I, I was, in, I was Did, raised in the richest, most affluent Jewish neighborhood probably in, in the world. Like bl- billionaire Jews. It's from, called Forest Hill. From what kind of money? 
like like insane crazy fucking cash. Okay. Yeah, like I'm I'm actually not joking when I say well, it may be like Beverly Hills Jews or something, but this is like all Jews, super rich, per capita, maybe one of the richest areas in the world for Jews, where I'm from. And and did you, uh, did like did you grow go to a? Like I went to a Hebrew. A, I went to Hebrew day school. school. I went to Hebrew day school, which wasn't yeah. that fancy. We were poor. I don't know how you know. We were poor, really poor, like shit poor. And uh, all of our friends were f- fucking low ho ho did crazy cash. Well, you know how that works. Like, like the poor Jews show up, and the rich Jews are like, we can't let them, you know, yeah, like tarnish our reputation. So <laughs> that we have to uplift the whole people. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, like I certainly, I've always felt like being Jewish is an, sort of an insurance policy that no matter how fucked up my life gets, I could throw myself on any Jewish charity in the country, and they would help me. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, well, I don't think we get as fucked up as as other people, which is weird because we're so traumatized by. I prefer to think of it as high functioning and fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I don't know what our, we ha- we've just been. You know, we have this defense mechanism that's so I- integral to our our psyches right. that we don't let ourselves get that fucked up because everyone before us was so fucked up. We're so scared not to to get fucked up. Whereas I think. A lot of other people haven't had the, this experience where things have been so shitty for their family in the past, right. and we've been just you know mentally brainwashed not to let things get too fucking crazy. But you know what? Which you know, but there's you know a lot of shitty heroin, like rich Jewy kids who are all fucking wasted on heroin and total fuck ups. Like I've never met more fucked up kids in my life than than Jewish kids. Well, and like scary, like scary, fucking crazy, shitty people. And some ama- like amazing, you know. I guess it's the same for everybody. What can you say? Right. You just know. You just know the Jews. I just I the the two most fucked up people I've ever met in my life were Jew- were Jewish kids. So, what's the funniest thing about the Holocaust? It was a gas. <laughs> um, the funniest thing about the Holocaust is, well, I wouldn't say the funniest thing, but I I would say the most. Um, the most relevant thing or what people don't realize is there, there would be no Israel if it, if it wasn't for the Holocaust. So some, some people think that God created something that was so horrible so that they could have Israel. Because if there wasn't a Holocaust, there'd be no Israel. 100%. No fucking way in hell would there be an Israel if it wasn't for Shinny Hitler. Or Schittler, as I call him. Uh... That's it's that's the that's the Ellis Island shortened immigration version of Schickel Gruber. Yeah, <laughs> it's Schiller. Um, I know uh, he had he had the more Jewish name than anybody else in the world. Right. Schickel Gruber. <laughs> uh, you know, it there sounds are, like a canter. I feel like one, at one point I looked up like where the other Schickel Grubers were, and they're they're, they're around. There, you can go and knock on the door. Yeah, yeah. The you know third cousins and whatnot. Um, so we should go kill them. <laughs> that would be funny. Um, uh, so I find your career trajectory sort of fascinating. Like, like I'm, I'm a stand-up comic and, uh, sorry. And you know, so I'm in this world of like, like, I know that world very well. I've done stand-up. I wrote for television. Uh, most of my friends are like trying to get late night spots or trying to get writing jobs. Or trying you're to all just trying to outdo. It's things. so, it's annoying to me because you're all trying to outdo each other, which is really annoying. 
You'll like, never help each other. Maybe some, you know, something, but historically, you guys just try to outdo each other, which is shit. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a very competitive yeah. scene. Uh, and, uh, you know, and you, and you tear apart all your relationships, and, and, but it, to make art. Um, and it's like, you don't seem to have done any of the things that, like, like the comics talk about, these are the things that you do. Yeah. You don't seem to have done any of those things. Well, I've done other, other things which, com- which comics don't do. You okay. know what I mean? And that is um, like filmmaking or, or, you know, really kind of like being like a laser and focusing and pursuing a, like, like I started as a film, like a filmmaker when I was six years old with my brother. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you know, not many people were making like super eight, you know, um, animated cutout, you know, cutout films. Right. So that's the world I started in, which eventually migrated into comedy. And then, and then, how did that? How did that get to you developing like a like your on screen presence? Well, because, well, there's a well. Let me just finish by saying, stand up comedians start doing stand up at a certain age. I, I, I started, you know, well, certain, you know, I was a, the class clown, and you know, there's people who are class clowns, and I guess a lot of them end up being stand up. Right. So that's where it starts for some people. Half the stand ups, the other half really kind of start doing it when they're like 19 or 15 or 35. So for me, it's just been a natural progression of something that I was doing ever since I was a, like a, a fucking baby. Right. And so my, I, I have such a weird, my stuff comes from such a weird tangent, which is kind of came out of, like my brother was an incredible artist and I could never draw. So all I was just trying to do was make him laugh and make my friends laugh. And that's really where it all came out of. And then the other thing was I was just so fucking lazy. You know, I, everybody in my family is a fucking doctor. I got like 20 doctors in my family. My brother, my uncles, all my cousins are fucking doctors. Neurosurgeons. It's like half the hotses are doctors and the other half are patients. And I, you know, the funny thing is now that, you know, my brother's a doctor and I'm my mom's favorite. Uh-huh. So, you know, that's why, I, you know, I just kind of. Are you, are you the older one? No, in the middle. Okay. But you know what? It's just, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, I guess I, I started smoking weed when I was 14. And, you know, you get a camera for your bar mitzvah. And I managed to kind of latch on to that stuff. Photography, which eventually kind of turned into funny photographs and documentaries and you get lucky, you find someone cool who gives you a deal, you don't fuck it up, you get another deal, you try not to fuck it up, you get another deal. So, yeah. you know, it's just, I was doing the same thing for long enough and I, I didn't do anything that shitty where I got lucky and I, I, I had the ability to, you know, what I think do some cool stuff. Which, and, and you know, and being in Canada, which is, which is totally different from America in Canada, the system is the government pays you to actually make art. Right. I actually, I mean, I wanted to ask about that because, like, as someone who is a victim of the American healthcare system, mm-hmm. I sort of gaze longingly at, like, countries that have national healthcare and just imagine that alone would give more people more ability to afford to pursue creative lives and allow more diverse kinds of people to try it, you know, because... 
You're not like, well, I have to keep this job to get my health care. You know, so there's, there's health care and art subsidies of some sort? Yeah, but health care, like you guys have better hospitals if you're rich. You know, health care, it's like, what, you don't go to the hospital? Don't fucking eat 5,000 cheesecakes a day. You know, you don't, you don't smoke cigarettes. Don't be a morbidly obese fucking piece of shit that eats at McDonald's every day. There, there's certain, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages in every society and culture. And, you know, like I lived in America for 10 years. A way, you know, they hear their people are profit motivated, you know, so there's way more opportunity and you can make it and you can be fucking huge and you can be anything you want. It's not really like that in other countries. Are you are you like the richest person in Canada just off of international distribution of Kenny versus Penny? I would love. Uh, no, we, no, we got douched. We it really it wasn't it's not that much cash, but I am certainly probably the coolest guy in television in the entire country, and that's not even bullshit. But there's a you know there's no celebrity culture there. There's a a limited handful of celebrities. Like I'm right. talking like five or six on TV. And do you all have meetings and stuff? No, no. We uh, I don't know. In in Canada they have this uh, we want you to fail mentality. <laughs> like they, they, everybody hates when you're successful. That must appeal to you as a Jew. Uh, unless, yeah, <laughs> unless you cr- crack a certain level where you're likable, and then it, it's it you kind of right. migrate into this "we love you" thing. And is there like is there some new is there a new crop of like SCTV geniuses in Canada that nobody no, knows about? No. In fact, Spenny and I were the only Jews and had a TV show in like 30 years. Like when we sold the show. To CBC, which is like your PBS, we basically I basically went in there and said, "Give us a fucking show," because this lady Debbie Bernstein was running our comedy, and I go, "There's Debbie. There hasn't been a fucking Jewish TV show for thirty fucking years." And she goes, "Oh, oh yeah, you're right." And we got a show, twenty six episodes. Um, so what, like, so I think about about comedy it sort of i feel like there's there are two poles of comedy mm-hmm. there's like an absurdist pole and a very like realistic naturalistic pole yeah. and your stuff is very much in the realist side of things yeah. where it's like your show worked because you have a real relationship with spenny yeah and and they couldn't have just cast that no, like, God, no. in fact we tried to we did we did format deals all over the world we did about like 30 40 and they all sucked because there was only like one or two that worked because these guys were real friends. We always tried to cast friends. And, and you cast friends in testes too, right? Yeah, best friends, yeah. And so what's, could, could, are you able to sort of articulate like why, why, it's, why, like why the real thing is always funnier than the made up thing? Because I think that, that stuff kind of travels through the screen. You know what I mean? My, yeah. my friend did a thesis on 9-11 and she said that <laughs> that, that killed that the nine eleven created reality television, that people were so after seeing uh, an event that fucking crazy they couldn't deal with all the bullshit of sitcom, mm-hmm. and so that actually is where reality television started in two thousand and one. After that, uh, that I certainly re- relate to. That. So on September tenth two thousand one, reality television on, started on September tenth two thousand one. I had rented Demolition Man with yeah. Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes. And we didn't finish it, and I went to sleep. And on nine eleven, we get my wife gets home from work, uh, and we're like, "Should we finish this movie?" And we try to put it on. It's like, "Fuck this! Let's go yeah, back yeah. to the news." Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and that kind of that just killed killed bullshit. Yeah, 
Huh, that's it. That's interesting. So, and, and, and that's when we sold the show after 9-11, too. Uh, so just as we can thank Hitler for Israel, we can thank Al-Qaeda for Kenny versus Spenny. <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, you know what, it's like Kenny versus Spenny like, was huge in Germany, so I always said that, look, they gave us a holocaust. We gave him Kenny versus Spenny, and we're even. <laughs> right. Did you hear about, uh, about this that museum in Germany that had the exhibit of the Jew sitting in the case recently, like in the last year? There was a museum in Berlin where they like had a Jew sit in a glass case, and people could come up and ask them questions. That's the coolest thing I've ever. That's the coolest piece of art ever. <laughs> Why? Where do you apply? Who that's books what I'd love that? to do. I hate doing all this Jewish shit. Yeah. Even though I'm, I, I always thought I wasn't a Jew, but it turns out I'm like the most super Jew ever. And I don't know why, and I don't know what my fascination with with it is. Uh-huh. But um, on that note, every everybody hates the fucking Jews. You have no... Well, maybe you do. But non-Jews don't realize how much everybody fucking hates us. And that's that's the initial, the, the initial problem with the underlying understanding of, of Jews. So one, people cannot, con- non-Jews can't comprehend how much people hate us, so they, they, they view us as being paranoid. Right. But the reality is everybody wants to fucking kill us for some stupid reason that we don't even understand. I have no idea what it is. Well, there are regional variations to it. Like, like I, I'm, I grew up here, yeah. and around here, it's sort of like... because you have all the best dead, dead tickets. Uh, well, there's, there's definitely a vibe of like, I can't put my finger on it, but I just don't like you, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, well, it's because you guys all saw, seriously, 300 dead shows and didn't have to work and nobody understood how you could right. get in a fucking VW and go see every <laughs> Grateful Dead show. Uh, that's a little bit before my time, but, uh, uh, but, yeah, but there was some, there were some freedoms or abilities for, well, I don't know. Listen, L.A., California. Right. It, it's it's weird. So uh, the the other thing that that I I was thinking about watching your shows is that that like I feel like the only kind of timeless humor is physical humor. Yeah. That it, like you know I my humor is kind of heady and and like the most you know well crafted, pithy, insightful you know riff. Like is never going to be as funny as someone falling down, or someone getting hit by something. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Why is that? Because <laughs> um, people are cruel, and uh, you know what? People are mean and they're cruel, and and I, we're instinctually built so that when we do better from somebody else, we get certain our synapses spark and say, "Okay, that's good. That's what we're doing because we have survival instincts." Mm-hmm. So when you're you know, running for a banana and your your shitty friend slips and he doesn't get the banana and you get the banana, we get pleasure from that because that's how we survive. So I think there's these integral, primal, you know, um, things that we all kind of are forced to abide by, which all animals abide by. And uh, it kind of, it kind of uh, fucks up the reality that we're, we want to be nice and moralistic and and not you know uh and you know just not be assholes and uh, so from some of the stuff I was reading, it sounds like Kenny versus Spenny sort of gets compared to jackass a lot, which I hate I hate that 
It's not Jackass at all. It's not Tom Green or Jackass. Those are a series of unrelated vignettes that have no narrative thread, that have nothing to do with anything. Kenny vs. Benny is the first reality sitcom. It's, it, it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's a story about two f- best friends who destroy their relationships for fame and <laughs> fortune. Um, and how did you go into did, what? Did you go into Kenny versus Penny knowing that that was how you were going to structure it? No, we were fucked. You know, I look here. I'm, you know, watching interviews with like Larry David talking about Seinfeld. How he had nobody. I, I feel like nobody has any idea what the shows are, and you either get lucky or you're unlucky. And I think, I think we were very lucky. I think we managed to do something. And I'm not saying I'm a genius for it. I think it's an accident. Like we managed to do something that people liked and we kept doing it. Right. And and the more and the 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 sad thing was was the more that Spenny and I hated each other, the better the show got. Unlike other series that the the more that the creators hated each other, the shows got a lot shittier. But it actually fit within the mandate of the series that you know, things got more intense and, and more you know, abrasive. Right, right. You know, the more the more we we hated each other, and that made the show better. And is there a, is there was there an aha moment for you in the in the arc of the series where you were like, oh, we've ar- this is what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah, it was actually during the the original pilot where we did a, we did a pilot. It was who could gain the most weight because it was like two thousand and one or two thousand. Every it was the initial start where America America was realizing their obesity. Like this was like, you know, fifteen, fourteen years ago, and the the whole obese thing started with uh, um, McDonald's and you know, like I know, supersize me, that fucking dick. My the or initial pilot went went huge on iFilm was about me seeing how much weight I could gain in a week. And I sat and I ate McDonald's, filet of fishes. I ate all McDonald's for an entire fucking week. And I know Spurlock saw that fucking show and then ripped me off and did supersize me. Not that I didn't rip everybody off, but I'm just saying. So, um, no, you know what? It, it was like, you know, it's like photography or stand-up. You do something, people laugh. You do something, people don't laugh. When you, when you, you know... You know instinctually that when you do something and it's a funny joke, you're like, oh, man, I got a funny joke. When a photographer looks at his contact sheet and he's got his 36 pictures on it, nobody needs to tell him what pictures are good. You look at it and say, whoa, oh, my God. I, there's a one fucking picture, which is amazing. And I think the same thing happened. Like, and you, how do I do more like that one? Yeah, and so what you start honing your craft and you do stuff you say oh shit that was funny and i knew it was funny and then i would start doing more things like that it's it's really just opportunity and luck you know and and having the having a having a good sense of humor and having instincts and having and having a, a a network or a producer who will let you have the time to figure that out yeah, or yeah, or someone stupid enough not to realize what you're doing and giving you and, and you taking advantage of them, which is, was our situation. Um, I read you describe Kenny versus Penny as, as a microcosm of male psychosis. Yeah, what, what do you actually mean by that? Trey Parker, uh, Trey, Matt, and Trey said that. So, so which is right, but I, you know, I think 
women really ended up loving the show. And we, we never thought in a million years women would love the show. And I think what they loved about the show was our, our two separate personas. Is that mine? I was like the kind of bad guy, devious, you know, funny, I don't give a shit guy. And then Spenny, who was like the, the angry, neurotic, wounded puppy that they wanted to save. So, you know, it, 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 yeah, look, guys are, you know, we're so simple. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think it was a microcosm. I, but you know what? A microcosm. There's other microcosms of men that they kill people and they're they're assholes and they beat the shit out of their wives. That's not kind of what we did. Right. So, so you you, you what, what what you're referring to is that you feel like you and Spenny sort of presented some archetypes. Yeah. Well, one hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And and let those archetypes slug unintentionally, out. right? But we were so defined. Our characters were so defined because he was the moralist. I, I kind of saw him as an evangelist. Nobody nobody else would ever get into any of this shit. I basically it's about somebody who cares and somebody who doesn't care. I I just don't care. I just don't don't want to be humiliated. You see, it's like his the, whole it's, th- it's like the angel and the devil on the shoulder. Not not even because he believed in the rules that the rules mattered and and morality and none of this. But none of that stuff matters. Like, what is morality? Is morality liking yourself and being a happy person that's just dicking with somebody, or is morality being, you know, like this is this is so important and, and you know our competitions were so stupid. Or does the winner get to define morality? It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter the fact that he cared and I didn't really define the series. That the, like he was you know he was so staunch and and rabid about the rules, um, but you know it's all about it's really all about your personality. I'm happy. He's unhappy. You know that when the show started. Everybody thought I was the bad guy. You watch three episodes and you want him to be destroyed. Who's the bad guy? The guy who plays fair or or the guy who plays fair, but he's a, a neurotic, psychotic, violent, you know, idiot or the guy who doesn't play fair, but he's a, he likes himself and he's happy and he's fun loving and and uh you know, so every you know, I guess the more the more it was a it was a really com- it was very complex but just so simple. What was the um, what was the dumbest feedback you ever got from a network? Oh, I've I've done stuff. Even my, my last show, my you know, it doesn't matter. I canceled, but I, I I was making the greatest art I've ever made in my life. And I, for the will. I did try for the will with my mom. I tried to get my mom laid. I, and, I watched that, and my mom is is single and divorced, and see, I found it excruciating. Yeah, but my the the, the my my uh, executive said uh, that was the worst thing she's ever seen in her life, and you were terrible, and that show sucks. And to me and my family, that was the the greatest art that I have ever. Uh, I, I like cry. I I still see it, and I cry. I so, mean, you know, people are idiots. They're for people, you know. What I, I found it excruciating to watch, and I could also see that it was very funny, and it was incredibly tender. Yeah. Like having a grown man express that much love for their mom on television is so rare. Yeah, or, or yeah, I know. I can't even. I'm so nervous about what these people are going to think at this Jewish film festival. Right. But you know, it's it really is. You, you, it's the reality is it's about love. The underlying broad stroke is love. When is anyone? When is a son? ever made something about how much he loves his mother. Right. And, you know, these women, they, they want to be loved more than anything. And, 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 you know, they won't be. So 
the fact that I was trying to get my mom to be left, I thought was very unique. And I, and I also watched the uh, Building a Mosque episode. I actually don't like that show. It's the worst of the series. Really? It's, I mean, the, the Jews don't come off looking very good in that one either. You know, who fucking cares? The Jews, <laughs> there's nothing, you know, we're fucked. We're so fucked. Israel's gone. All the Hasids are taking their cash and moving to India. There's no way we can, I, listen, things may change, but we're fucked. There's 3 billion Muslims, 11 million Jews or something retarded. We're fucked. There, there's, there's, Who cares? Am I, you know, people have, I, I, I always thought I was going to be a pariah in the Jewish community for shit. But if I can make one radical Islamist think, oh, wait, whoa, whoa. You know, that Kenny Hotz guy is cool. If I can make them think like that, fuck what the Jews think. Mm-hmm. If I can make, and I think I can, and I think I do because I have, a, I have some like serious like Muslim dudes who are mega fans. I think if I can reach my tentacles that deep into their culture and, and give them one Jew that they think is all right, I think that's worth way more than a bunch of pissed off ladies at like the San Francisco Film Fest. You know what I mean? Oh, right. Well, the, so just FYI, the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival has a long history of people being pissed off about things related to Israel. Good. Well, what are they fucking doing for it? They live in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're sitting there. They're sitting cooking bacon with their fucking come making bacon with their cousins. That's uh, what they're doing. That is refers to me. Um, but that bacon was delicious. Once you've had homemade bacon, there's hey, no there's listen, no going back. Do you know why Jews don't eat bacon? Why? Well, first of all, there's a. I heard that there are rabbis that are cool with eating pork. That there's a few reasons why pork is unkosher. Um, one is because pork spoiled in the desert. They were in the desert. They couldn't eat it. It was a health factor. The second thing is that pigs are filthy animals, but because they didn't have the water to spare in the desert. But now, because there's refrigeration and there's a lot of water for the pigs to wash themselves in Israel, some rabbis believe that pork would be kosher. And it was just a health issue. And all delicious. that shit's over. Oh, there's no reason that God would make pig that fucking delicious and you're not supposed to eat it. This is the NATO Sessions. I'll be right back with more Kenny Hotz. How did you meet uh, Trey and Matt? How did that relationship come about? You know, what's so weird is that we are we had a show on Game Show Network, and one, um, a guy named Kyle McCullough, who was one of the head writers for South Park, was watching it and brought it to Matt and Trey, and we had no idea, but supposedly South Park Studios stopped. Whenever Kenny versus Benny was on the Game Show Network, and those guys are working, it all stopped. It went on the monitors. Everybody watched the show, and then they went back to work. And uh, just through a matter of circumstances, Benny met them on an airplane, and they were like, you, you're our favorite fucking show. And uh, next thing you know, I was kind of sitting, you know, consulting on South Park, and uh, it was, you know what, just luck, fucking luck. And what was, what did you learn from, from working with them? What I learned was you got to ride your own wave. You know, one, it did really work out with, with we, became, we all became very, very close friends. 
you know, and I really, I love those guys probably more than anybody else on the planet because you have guys who are really that great, like Mantra. They're tr probably one of the greatest comedic geniuses, like in my demographic uh, in the entire world. Yeah, I just I just saw Book of Mormon on Broadway, which is amazing. That that Mormon spaz dance in hell was yeah. was the, one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah. and I, I I literally was sitting with Matt when I met the guy that were doing Book of Mormon with sitting there going, "What the fuck are you guys doing Broadway for? Bad, bad move, bruh. Stupid idea." And they're probably splitting 300 mil off it like it's insane yeah, it's the insane. thing that was most amazing to me about seeing that that show was seeing like that humor going for whatever 300 dollars a ticket on broadway with this very middle american mainstream yeah people but you know film. what they did they brought in an entirely you know they broadway's dying and dead it's a bunch of blue hair people they brought in a, the young they brought in an entirely new generation to broadway yeah. you know what they did Trey knows that um, you know that genre is so much better than those people do that it's it's fucking embarrassing. They everybody in Broadway should be embarrassed that these guys can go in there and take over the entire fucking country with that. I um I was in college. It was before South Park was on television when there was a short. The Jesus versus Santa short that was like, yeah, like going around the like, Spirit of Christmas, like Spike and Mike stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was in college in Portland, Oregon, and one of my best friend's dads was the manager of a comedy club in Seattle. And so I got this VHS tape of Spirit of Christmas, and I was just like, this the first, is... One of the first viral videos. And I, well, I mean, I stood in the lobby of the, of the library of my college, and I would just flag people and be like, you guys, I got to fucking show you this thing. Let's go to the video lab. Uh, and I would just round up people. Don't ask questions. I'm just going to show you this thing. Yeah. And I would take them down and be like, isn't this the funniest shit you've ever seen in your life? <laughs> and uh, and I did it probably with 100 people, you know, uh, just like corralling yeah, people into the thing. they're still around. They deserve it more than anybody. And and you get what you deserve. How did you, how did you get from war photography to television comedy? Um, I, I was... I, I, I'm a filmo. I love movies. I've always been a film guy. And then for my bar mitzvah, I bought a camera. And it all goes back to the fact that my brother could draw and I couldn't make art. So I used a camera to start making art, like start making photography, because I was so jealous of him, like in a good way. But I was so mad that he could draw, like these incredible, like his life drawings, his Michelangelo, like hand, you know, Da Vinci-esque anatomy drawings, he was a shit student like me, got him into med school mm -hmm. just because he was a good artist. So I always had this in my face the entire time that my brother is fucking, you know, Da Vinci and I can't do shit. So I picked up a camera and I had a really good eye for photography. And I started doing these journalistic things. I was doing war photography and going to, you know, Waco and, you know, doing all these Jewish like uh, Auschwitz uh, Poland, did Ceausescu, like orphans, and like I was getting, I was doing really fucking great work. And did that, you set out to f document the most miserable things you could find? You, oh, totally, because I thought, oh, some editor is going to go through my book, and if he doesn't see like you know babies in gas masks or you know Ceausescu, fucking you know gypsies sucking each other off in a fucking park or. Or, uh, you know, Waco or Times Square. 
2000 or Needle Park in Zurich and all these really fucked up weird places, I'm not going to get shit. So I was doing all of that stuff. And then I kind of moved into documentaries because uh, I was shooting all these bar mitzvahs and weddings with video cameras and I had them. And then I had a friend and, and uh, you know what? Because I just always kind of started making movies and we were stoners and we just wanted to do funny shit. So it was a, nat- it was na- a natural progression. I kind of got tired of doing war photography and that stuff. And, and um, just started making kind of funny documentaries. And then we, Spenny and I made one about this homeless foul-mouthed dwarf in Toronto who died while we were making the movie. And then we did a movie called Pitch, which is me and Spenny trying to sell a script in Hollywood. And we run up to like Pacino and Neil Simon. And we, we got like 30s. It's an incredible doc. You got to see it. It's all on my channel. And, um, and yeah, and then we, we basically made Pitch. Uh, which is us going to Hollywood to try and sell a script, and we. But the problem was that during the movie, things were so bad that Spenny and I turned against each other, and we go to like the Dublin Film Festival. And when we we're fighting, the fucking Irish like people started laughing. And we we're sitting there listening, go, "Holy shit, dude! Like fuck, these people are loving us fighting." And then pitch was really Spenny and I tried to sell a script, and then Kenny versus Spenny was first one to sell sell the script wins. It was a very small little, you know, twist in the the concept. And, uh, you know, we were out there. Celebrity Deathmatch was big. And and uh, the Osbournes had just started. And walk in a room, guys are like, oh, you got you versus him? I go, yeah, me versus him. And that's it, you know. We're Jews. I would have sold, uh, you know, Hitler bar mitzvah videos back then. We're poor. I lived in a garage for five fucking years in Venice. It was torture. I was 70 G's in debt when I left L.A. I lived in L.A. for five years with no car. Spenny was selling guacamole in the promenade of Santa Monica. Like, we were fucked. And, and, then, and then you got the show. And- we got the show, and, and, uh, but we didn't sell it in, you know, we didn't really. We, we, it's a long story. We went to MTV, and they bought, gave us, like, five G's to do a pilot. Like, on, we'd used slide photography. We gave them a slideshow, and they said no. And then we sold it to USA Network, and we did a pilot. And then uh, they didn't want it, but we took the pilot to Canada, and a friend of ours got us 26 episodes. Then we hit in Canada. We will go to number one on the CBC, which is our, your PBS. But they canceled us because we went to number one. It was just too heavy for them. Then another network picked us up in Canada, and then we just did 90 episodes, years of shows. After four years in development hell. Oh, well, no, there was no development hell. Like, we were really, you know, it's funny. They used to call us North Park because they, we, no one ever fucked with us, and, you know, we, we always managed to have total anonymity and do whatever we wanted. And, and, then, uh, and then you ended up with a show on FX. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so lucky. Uh, FX, I mean, team is willing to take these incredible risks with their with their programming. Um, what was what was so, what was sort of the highlight, most rewarding thing about doing that show, doing testes? That was that was uh, you know uh, we did I did the show way too fast. The, I went to the president. I said I can't do this show. Like they wanted it by a certain time. I said, dude, I can't fucking do the show in this time. Is this John Langraff? Yeah, Langraff, who I love. He's a super great guy. And uh, he goes, well, fuck, no show. And I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> but uh, I'm happy I did it. But it really, it was, uh, it was a fucking nightmare. I was doing two shows at the same time. 
Yeah, yeah. That's uh, and, pissed everybody off. And and how was it? How was the discipline different of doing a scripted show versus doing this competition? Oh my this god, reality scripted show is so much better. I love it so much more. Sitting there and writing it with my pals, my pal. Oh my god, it was the greatest thing ever. I'm always been trying to get back to that, but I, it burnt me out so much, and it was such a horrible experience to to. Uh, you know, I, I got both shows canceled. They both canceled each other out. I got the president of Comedy Center, the president of of uh, FX were fucking pissed at each other. They canceled both my shows all of a sudden, you know. I'm just some shitty little kid from Toronto trying to make it, trying to do good shit. And I got caught up in the whole Hollywood, got kiboshed by fucking Hollywood. And uh, it was just too much, too big. And I probably should have taken my time a little bit more and, you know, not done it, but so what can you, say? What can the, you do? The, the, the big, the big conversation that's in the comedy world now is how new media is changing distribution yeah. and, and how particularly sort of what it means for people outside the centers of power in New York and LA to be able to build some kind of niche. Well, that all depends on how good stuff is. You know, I think things are going to fall. Like, I still think there's tons of money to make in TV. We're talking. I still think it's years away. But the reality is it only matters if people do good stuff. If they make shit, it makes no difference. Like YouTube and all these things. You know, I don't know if YouTube's... Like, YouTube may... Like, I don't think Facebook's going to be here in five years. I don't even know if YouTube's going to be here. We can go to Zuckerberg's house and you can tell to his face. <laughs> yeah, he knows it. They're bleeding cash. He knows they're done. Thank you. This has been an episode of the NATO Sessions. For more episodes uh, as they become available, go to 3200stories.org. They are now on iTunes. You can subscribe. Please do. And rate and review them and share them and whatnot. Uh, You can follow me at NATO Green on Twitter and see me do stand-up every week at the Business at the Darkroom Theater on Wednesday nights in the Mission District. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm NATO Green.